Well, guess what? In 1987, I rescued the princess. I was hoping for excitement around that. In 1987, I rescued the princess. Okay, let me catch you up to speed in case you, you know, haven't been alive the last three decades. I think it's been like that long now or however long it's been. Okay, I was, uh, I think I was a freshman and my buddy just got the Nintendo 64 game system. I had never been a gamer before and he was going to go on vacation. So I had this great idea. I said, hey, let me borrow your, your game system when you go on vacation. So he brought it over. They went away for a week. And here's my memory of, of the week. I just played Super Mario Brothers. I played it for a week straight. Um, it was like a waste of, of, well, actually, I got a sermon illustration out of it, so maybe that's pretty good. But I just played the game for a whole week straight. I rescued the princess. I kind of had this moment where I was like, well, okay, I did that. And, and actually, the truth is, I've like never played a game ever since. Like It just like purged gaming out of me forever. I've never been able to play a game. I have no interest in game. I have no way with the game. I'm an awful gamer. So, But I rescued the princess. But I did come away with it with this. I learned the lesson of progression. Somebody say, the lesson of progression. All right, we are awake, we are engaged, we are with it. I learned about the lesson of progression because my friend had told me, he said, all right, George, there's this hack. If you're like, up, up. So I, some people will know exactly what I'm talking about, whereas I, and I, I'm not even entirely sure what I'm talking about, but he talked about this hack. He's like, you do up, up, down, down, over, over, A, B, and you can like jump to the end. And I remember I had tried that, but it didn't work for me. See, I had to learn the lessons, actually, of the progression. I, I, I had to get through stage one to get to stage two, to get to stage three. I had to learn how to defeat the turtles, the things, the creatures, the whatever it was you were fighting. I had to learn each step of the way in order for me to rescue the princess. You can't skip the steps. You have to learn in progression. It goes for a lot of areas of life. If you're not a gamer, I mean, just try to skip Algebra 1 and go on to Algebra 2. Try to skip any other levels and any other sports or activities you do. There's no value in it because you need to learn the lessons at each step of the game, right? Well, faith works very much in the same way. We need to learn some of these lessons of faith to move us forward to the next Stage. And what we're going to see here, what's about to happen is we make a turn now, we make a move in the Exodus story, is we're going to come to the very edge of the promised land. We're sort of on this side of the promise. And it seems so close. It seems within our grasp. It's within our reach. And yet we're about to enter this season where the people of God are going to need to learn the lesson of progression. They're going to need to go through this progression of faith steps. And it's going to take the form of these plagues, these signs, these wonders of God. And with each plague, with each sign, the people are going to be learning a faith lesson. And they'll be making a step closer to the promise. Another step closer to the promise. Another, But they cannot see skip any of the steps. And the lesson for us, a spiritual lesson for us to take away from this as we are going to work our way through the story now this morning is that we need to go through faith progression. 
lessons of progression in our faith. The faith that got you through middle school will not get you through high school. Amen to that, right? The faith that got you through high school is not going to get you through college. The faith that got you through college isn't going to get you through your marriage. The faith that is getting you through marriage is not going to get you through parenting. The faith that gets us through parenting, I'm still working on, so I'll teach you about that when I have some more lessons to learn. This thing, the faith level, what you learned at this stage, you need to build on it. You need to grow from it. You need to move forward with it. And so God is taking us lovingly, graciously, as he takes the people of God through the lesson of the progression. With each step, they're learning to trust. They're learning to obey. They're growing in their understanding. They're getting a greater sense of the glory, the majesty, the holiness, the wonder, the work of God. And he's able to bring them deeper and deeper, further and further through. So let's get into our story now this morning. When we left off last week, sorry, we're in week six. You can go back and you can catch up on all of this series. I'm trying to make each one stand alone, but it's hard not to progress through the story. Last week, we ended with God recommissioning Moses back to the call, his destiny, his mandate to be the deliverer of the people of God. And he had three questions, kind of three protests before God. The first one, who am I? Go back, listen to that, study that, because the answer is we are called by God, made in his image. We are chosen in him, and that's the foundation of our identity. Who am I, he says. Uh, and, then, and then he says, you know, who will I say sent me? And we have this great revelation of the name of God. I am that I am, or I will be that I will be. Uh, then uh, he says, what if they don't believe me? And we had the lesson last week what's in your hand. We're going to keep the staff there, the stick there as a reminder for us. Look no further than what is in your hand for what God is probably calling you to do, what God has given you to use, the resources at your disposal. Look no further than what is in the grasp of your hand, in your home, at work, in the community. Chances are that is what God is calling you to do for his glory. So we have these three questions that he, 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 he makes, and then we're going to pick up the story now because finally he says this. Finally, he, he just says to God, he says, I, 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 this is what he's doing. He starts stuttering. He's like, I, I, I can't speak, God. I don't have, well, I was like the way Steve Martin said it years ago. He said, some people have a way with words, others not have way. I always thought that was a great line. So <laughs> He's, he's like, I, I just don't have a way with, with words, God. And God's like, Moses, like, who made your mouth? Who made your tongue? Who made your ears? Who made the people? Like, it's me. He keeps pulling him more and more to. It's not about you. Like, don't, don't get mad at this, Moses, but I'm just using you, man. <laughs> like, I'm just, you. I made you. And I'm using you, but it's all about me. It's all about my worship, my glory, my might. I'm just using you. And then finally, he just comes out with it. And you got to love it when it kind of gets to the point where you just really lay it all before God. Many of us have been there. If you haven't been there, you're going to be there at some point. The facade comes down, you know, the veneer is washed away, and you just like... God's known it all along, and Moses just finds, it's this, it's this great kind of moment, actually. It, it's horrible, but it's great, if that makes sense. Where he's like, I just don't want to do it, God. Just 
send someone else. Don't send me, which sounds so awful, right? It sounds so, un, you know, just, oh, don't send me, except that I think if we pause again to insert ourselves in the story, it sounds exactly like us. <laughs> I'll just own it before I get a little too heavy-handed here. It sounds exactly like me. D don't send me, God. In the life of faith, at the surface level, we always want to be sent. God, call me. God, send me. God, do great things with me. But as soon as we go a step deeper into that, the realization that all of us have to make is God has already called us. God has already equipped us. God has already sent us. God has already given us our marching orders. And we are a people who keep saying, not me. Not to that neighbor who drives me crazy. Not to that kid on the other side of the classroom who is so weird and talks to himself all the time. Not to that lady in that cubicle with all the pictures of her cats. You know, I don't know what it is. Like, 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 like whatever it is. Sorry, some cat, some cat person is... Oh, I love cats. <laughs> You know, you know, you know it's, 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 it's just that the call is so clear, yet so clearly not followed through. When God has said, go, share my love, make disciples, tell them about, don't, don't, don't tell them your story, who cares about your story? Again, with all, with all due respect, tell them about my story, tell them about what I'm doing, tell them about what I've done for them. So, so this sounds so awful until we can pause long enough and insert ourselves in the story to recognize we have been given such clear, concise, and beautiful commands and decrees and a commissioning of God through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. We've been given all that we stand in need of, fully equipped by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and yet daily we make choices that effectively are saying to God, send someone else. Send, just send someone else to the community. Send someone else to those kids. Send someone else to that camp. <laughs> send someone else to that country overseas. Send somebody, use somebody else, God. Well, God isn't going to give up on Moses just yet. In fact, then what he calls Moses to do is in the midst of what Moses sees as his greatest deficiency or weakness, which we have to suspect there's something to it. Because remember, when we jumped ahead earlier in the series to Acts chapter 7, we are told that Moses was educated and he was eloquent. And now he's saying he has no way with words. Something has happened in the last 40 years. But, but here's the point I need to make on this before we keep moving through through the story. Last week we had some fun talking about, you know, the personality tests and, you know, again the real test is our identity in Jesus Christ. But a great one that a lot of us has done is this, you know, the strengths finder 2.0. If I was a manager of a big organization, of course, I'd be like, let's all find our strengths. But our God doesn't work like me. And our God does not work like the world. Our God is, you know, assessing here the like weakness finder 2.0. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like okay, Moses, your, your, your weakness is your words. Well, that's what I'm going to use. Because we learn, of course, in Corinthians, like the, first, the first chapter, the first letter that we have in the New Testament to the church in Corinth, God says, I'm going to use the foolish things of this world to bring shame to the wise. I'm going to use the weak things 
of this world to bring down the strong. I'm going to use those things that you think is your weakness, that you think is foolishness, that you don't even understand, and I'm going to use that because that is how I will be glorified. Moses, don't worry about the words. The whole point of this is that so you get no glory, no honor, no credit, no worship. I am going to get it all. Amen? God is going to get it all. God, so here's the dangerous thing about this. Be weary, my friends. What you have defined as your greatest weakness, God may be calling you to use that very thing in service to him. For years in ministry, really for years in ministry, I had, we're gonna, I'll, I'll, put it, I'll, I'll put it politely, I had an aversion to street-level ministry. I, I just said, you know what? I'm not called to that. I'm not gifted in that. I'm not a social worker, God. I'm a pastor. Uh, I, was made, I was uncomfortable by it. I was very uncomfortable with the presence of people who are living in a down and out in a street level situation. I said, God, their lives are messy. Their bodies are messy. Their minds are messy. They're wrought with addiction and mental illness. I said, I do not like this ministry. I, I went to, and, and yet God seemed to keep opening doors for me. I, I, I went to my wife for, for sympathy. Marriage Lesson 101, never go to your spouse for sympathy. It's like their spiritual calling to shut you up and slap you across the face. I'm like, Robbins, you know, surely no, God is not calling me to this when the opportunity came for me to become one of the site directors with the Severe Weather Shelter Network. And yet, lovingly, she told me, and lovingly, God was clearly saying to me at this stage, a few years ago, you have no real reason to say no to this, George. And so I stepped out of my comfort zone. I stepped into what I thought was my weakness. And I will tell you that it has been one of the greatest blessings in my life. That this past winter was one of our most severe, actually the most severe wet winter since I moved here. And we sheltered nearly 60 nights. And we sheltered nearly 4,000 people consecutively then over the course of the season. And during the course of the season, one of the greatest victories we had is this year, we moved 12 people, Lord willing, into permanent housing. Thank you for understanding that is where we are supposed to applaud the work of God. Because we can fill stadiums and sing praises and all of that. But I think when God sees one of his children brought off the street and into a place of being helped and lifted up and supporting themselves and managing their lives and all of that stuff, oh, I think that's when God really smiles. God is probably, if you've named something that is your weakness, sorry, that may be the very thing in the next season of life that God is going to say, that's where I'm going to use you. That's how I'm going to use you. And I will get all of the credit for it. Because <laughs> that's how our God works. So God says to Moses, go. We enter this crazy stage in, in, in Exodus now. If you like do an internet search for sermons on Exodus, you know, the end of four and five and six, you're going to find like this sermon and like nothing else because there's some crazy stuff that goes on. You know, maybe we'll get into a Bible study in, in, in our small group another time. Um, but he kind of finally acquiesces and then he goes and he tells his father-in-law and uh, then he finally meets up with his brother Aaron and then he tells Aaron what's going to happen. His brother Aaron, they have this great reunion. And then, and then here's where we're, we're moving towards then. He gets to uh, back in Egypt. 
And then he goes before the people. He goes before the people and he says, I'm going to show you these signs. And you know, he does the stick thing and turns into a snake and, ooh, and then he does the hand thing and he you know, sticks it in and it's leprous, ah, and then he sticks it in and it's healed and then he does the water thing. But here's the point of all of that. The point of it isn't the things, it's what the things point to. It's what they're directing the people to. It's how God is going to use this stuff. And it's wonderful. It says that the people, they bowed down and they worshiped God. And we might not think much of that, reading that in the Bible, except that in context, the people have not bowed down and worshiped God maybe for 400 years. Maybe as a people, since their time of captivity, since the time they've been in Egypt, since the time they began to be oppressed by Pharaoh and the people around them, in the time of their discouragement and their imprisonment and their bondage, we don't know exactly, but for the first time that we have recorded for us specifically that the people bowed down now and began again to worship God. And this is what we must make much of in the book of Exodus, because the book of Exodus is, if anything, it is a book about the worship of God, because we are to be a people of worshiping our God. Listen, we work hard to try and make a wonderful worship experience for us here on Sunday mornings and throughout the week, and we hope to grow in worship. We hope you like singing the songs. We hope you love lifting up the prayers. We hope that you are inspired and moved by the messages. We hope your children uh, are, are growing in faith in their classrooms. We hope that you are blessed. That's a word we throw around a lot in church, right? It's a good word. We hope that you are blessed. But more than that, we hope that God is blessed, right? We hope that God is honored, that God is glorified, that God receives worship, because the measure and the mark of worship isn't what we get out of it. The measure and the mark of worship is not what we get out of it, but what we put into it. And we need to put everything, our whole selves, all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength, we need to put it all out for God. That is what worship is. It isn't coming away saying, that was awesome, I love it, I was blessed, man, they serve my needs. No, it is God is great, God is glorious, God is the author of salvation, God has given this gift to me by his grace grace. I've been empowered now by the Holy Spirit. Oh, our God is so good. What can I give him? I must give him everything. I must give him everything. I must give him my whole self. I must give him my whole self all in, no holds barred. I must surrender. I must sacrifice everything. Over and over again, we read these words that when we stop and pause and let them sink in, he says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Let my people go so that they may make sacrifices to me. Let my people go so that they will hold a festival for me. The whole point of this in the eyes of God is to have a people free to surrender themselves into submission and service and honor of God. And so that is where we must move. We must make the movement like Jesus's cousin John 
It was John who at the height of his ministry, at the peak of his influence and his impact, where he could have made it all about himself. And oh, there, there, there must have been the temptation. He must have wrestled with it in prayer. A absolutely. I mean, he was just a man, uh, as you and I. I mean, and, and he is just crushing it. I mean, he's, he's done like everything wrong. I'm going to like go out into the desert where people will like have to find me and I'm going to like yell at them when they come to me. And yet people are responding like crazy. And right when his disciples are like, okay, you're talking about this Jesus, where do we go? And he says the words, John 3.30, I must decrease, and now he must increase. I must become less, and he must become greater. It is all about him. It is not about me. And when we can enter that posture in worship, that is when God is glorified. That is when God is blessed. And the great sort of, you know, paradox of all this, and that is when we discover most deeply who we were made to be and who we are in Christ. When our posture of worship becomes, what can I give to God? What have I withheld from God? What can I confess to God? What can I sacrifice to God? What can I surrender to God? God, what do you need from me? When that is our posture of worship, then God is most glorified. And we as his people will wonderfully then be most blessed. So let our posture of worship evermore here at Connections be a people coming forward for the express purpose of giving it all away to God. So the people worship God. And now we make a turn. Moses is about to go from like a great day to a bad day to a worse day. <laughs> Ever had one of those days? This is all in the course of a day. All of this stuff is about to happen now. So the people have seen the signs. They have believed that God has heard their cry. They believe that Moses is now the one who's going to deliver them. He's got this great redemption in his own life, this great second chance that people are going to believe in him. You know, when we think back on what all that has happened in his life, this is monumental. And so, like, everybody's jazzed up, and they say, go and talk to Pharaoh. They go, and they talk to Pharaoh. And I'm just going to talk through the story into the reading, because there's a lot of text there. I do always encourage you to read the stuff on your own or in in your groups. <laughs> so they go there and you know and you know the line. I mean we all know the line. We could all say it together. Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no, you know, I mean it's it just this is not gonna happen. And and it's great. And Moses is actually quite polite. Please let my people go so that they might worship my God and make sacrifices to him. And finally Pharaoh's just like, I get it. Oh, I get what's going on here. You're lazy. You are, that's his big thing. They're lazy. I mean, it's like that's his, he just can't stand this. Like, oh, you're not going to work for me anymore. I'm not having it anymore. That's bad, but then it gets worse. He says, in fact, in fact, this is what's going to happen. I get what's happening here. I'm God. You know, that's Pharaoh's position. I'm, I'm God. I'm God. You serve me. You want to serve this other God? No, 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 no. You're going to keep serving me, but now you are not going to get the straw that we, the Egyptians, provided. You're on your own. You need to get all the materials and still make your quota. And the people say it's impossible. We, we can't do it. it. It cannot be done. They turn on Aaron, they turn on Moses, they, they, they say things that went from bad to worse. They said, well, you know, how could it have got any worse? And now it just got worse. And then Moses does this great thing. 
Moses does this amazing thing that we should all take note of. Again, sounding so simple, but this is the key. This is going to be the turning point for Moses. He, for the first time now, in the context of his life and ministry, from his birth to his raising to God calling him in the burning bush and the conversations happening, we read that Moses then sought God. Moses went to talk to God. Moses very intentionally, very deliberately got to that place where he said, God, I I recognize now how much I need you to intervene in this. So it says that Moses goes to God. Let's pick up our reading there. Just a few verses. Pick up the end of chapter 5 if you want to follow along. Going to go through the first verse in 6. And here's what we have. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord? Why? I I just love the humanness of that. Why, Lord, why? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, here's the turn, friends. Here's the beautiful turn that's about to happen. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. What follows in chapter 6 is a hard read and a strange read for modern ears. Again, if you search on the internet and look for inspirational sermons on, you know, Exodus chapter 5 and 6, it's going to be uh, conspicuously absent (laughs) from the literature out there. If you go to your study Bible, it's like just like a couple notes. And I wrestled with it. I want to tell you this. I wrestled with it in this commitment. Like, I want to understand the story and what is happening and and what is the word for us here? And what can I bring now to to my people, to my peeps, to connections, to what we need in our community? And then it became quite obvious as I just let the text begin to soak and saturate and, and, and work over me. It was that little phrase, I will. Say, I will. I will. It's actually not I, it's what God will. This is where God begins to make it abundantly clear what he will do. That all along, this has been about him fulfilling his promise, his covenant, his word. That he has heard the cry, he has seen the misery, he has remembered the covenant that he committed himself to. That he will commit himself to through to its completion and the birth the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection and return of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. This is all about what he will do. And then it begins. Moses, you will see what I will do. And then go through your Bible, circle it, highlight it, write it down. I will bring my people out. I will redeem them. I will draw them to me. I will let them know that I am the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will do this. I will do this. Seven times he begins to emphasize here for Moses, I will do this work, Moses. I will do this work. This is why we come and we worship, because our God is the great I am and the great 
I will. He is the great, I, that was a good preacher moment. Come on, let me just say that one again. He is the great I am and he is the great I will. He is the great I am and I will be. He is the great I am. I am the God of your fathers and I am your God when you call upon me. When you know me through my son, Jesus Christ, and through Holy Spirit and dwelling in you, I am your God now and evermore and I will be faithful to my promises. And he has been faithful to his promises. He has been faithful from beginning to the end. He has been faithful because God cannot be anything but faithful because it's the very essence, the very character is for the glory and the worship of God for him to be, be speak nothing but truth and word and love and compassion and care and service and deed and to follow through on all of his promises. And all of his promises are a yes and amen in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He promised he would, and he has. Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. Jesus Christ, our Deliverer. Jesus Christ, the one who reveals God to us. It has all been accomplished in the work of God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen, friends? Amen. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and they're going to get ready to take us out. It's one of those moments where it's like, the perfect song, right? You know, like you need the perfect song. And this song is all about the God who will. I will. I will. I will remember my promise. I will remember my people. I will remember my word. I will remember you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I will be with you always. I will be with you. I will. This is who our God is. He is the great I am and the great I will. And he has in Jesus Christ. Friends, we're going to take a moment and we're going to pray. And in these times of prayer, this isn't the time to just sort of check out. This is the time where perhaps it's important to most deeply check in. Check in with yourself. Check in with your Lord. Check in in this time of prayer with God. We're going to do a quick prayer, and it's just going to be that check-in for us to recognize the great I am and the great I will and what he has done. And it is always appropriate for us to give God, of course, our worship, to bow down, to sacrifice, to surrender all to him. And through prayers like this, we can truly make a life change, a transition happen in our own lives with the surrendering of our very heart to him. So why don't you pray along with me in your mind and in your heart. Heavenly Father, your majesty, your glory, your worship reigns supreme throughout this book of Exodus and is enthralled as we become, is enthralled as I become with the deliverance of a people from bondage into freedom, from slavery to deliverance, from captivity into the promise of a new land. What I'm recognizing more and more and more is that all of this deliverance, this freedom, this promise is to lead us into a place of knowing and being known by you so that we might be a people of worship of giving you all worship, to giving you all of ourselves, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, where we want to give to you. So even in this prayer, let this be an act of giving to you. We give it all to you. Anything in our lives that we've been holding back, we give to you. We give to you now, standing on the edge of this promise. Lead us through this progression of faith, Lord. Draw us deeper 
Draw us from where we are at to where you want us to be. Draw us ever deeper into your promises, into your presence, into your glory, and for your worship. We do this all in the strong name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen, amen, amen.